This essay was written January 6, 2017, and is number 7 of 20 in the series Diagnosed Mortal. How to Die a Lot In addition to recommending herbal remedies from the old country, the holy man prescribed feeding the family's ancestors. The problem, he told them, was that since the family's emigration to North America, no one in the village had continued the proper rites and ceremonies at their clan's gravesite. The result was the unfed, uncared-for ancestors sought solace and sustenance as they had from the boy who was continually seizing. Whether the boy's health would be restored was uncertain, but the health of the ancestors was mandatory to establish the health of the living. The excerpt above is from a chapter called Who Are the Dying to You? Who Are the Dead? in Die Wise by Stephen Jenkinson. It explores how in leaving off the popular idea that the dead are just gone, or now somehow God's business, and omnipotent, and in a better place once they are dead, what it might look like to consider that our dead ancestors are actually needing the living in exchange for their support. That it might be a relationship that needs relationship things. How does the landscape of our human evolution devolve in denying the value of death? How might it emerge differently if we accepted the dead and answered their call for respect, reparation, and remembrance? I've thought a lot about this and about how when people lie dying, it is not uncommon for the fear, the deepest fear, to surface. That fear is the knowledge that they are going to be forgotten once dead. Worse, the realization that all of their investment in their own lives has not included those who died on their watch. They allowed their forebearers to be abandoned and now, horrified, the dying person faces the same fate, to be forgotten, perceived as lost like a wallet or a set of keys, possibly replaced even with something acceptably similar, yet not really them. The knowing that there will be hyperbolic rhetoric regarding achievements, sentimental speeches, pronouncements along with sincere deep grief, all to be eventually swallowed up by the ether of the living's history, seems to be a cornerstone of death phobia. Culturally, they may reflect that they will be tossed in the bin like some treasured memento whose story was never shared properly, the child or loved one, never knowing the story to appreciate it. Sadness abounds in the death of a beloved. Yet all the while we are blind to the deepest reverence for that person's life, because everyone is bracing for the connection that is being broken. And it will be broken if that life is turning into something fearful, lost, and abandoned. To be completely forgotten in death may be like the horrible living problem of not being recognized, not ever being seen in life. What if dying doesn't end that? 
What if dying just acerbates it? Now that we are not seen, and there is not even a body to look at, to identify. What are we to do with our ancestors, and how do we recognize them so we can accept and honor that we are all in this together to move forward in harmony? What if one turned quickly and saw their ancestors standing behind them, looking over their shoulder with interest? In a death-phobic culture, this would be a horrifying zombie threat. In death-inclusive culture, it would be your grandmother's interest in what you are doing and if and how it relates to your part in honoring your legacy. That is the difference between death-phobic and death-assured. I have no answer to these unanswerable questions, but I have a wonder of them. I do not want to be forgotten or remembered as something that no longer has presence in any way in 14 days. I think it is my time to recognize how I'm being contacted, embraced, and empowered by my ancestors, and how I need to show up for them so they can be in the world with me. It is time for me to sponsor some appreciation. This audio file is an addendum to a blog post called How to Die a Lot at AllTheDifferentWays.com Thank you for listening.